Welcome to the Financial Advisor Success Podcast, where you go behind the scenes with financial planner, speaker, and consultant Michael Kitsis to hear stories of how leading financial advisors navigated the inevitable challenges that arise on the path to success and get insight from leading industry consultants about how to break through to the next level in your advisory business. And now here's your host, Michael Kitsis. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the 185th episode of the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. My guest on today's podcast is Christine Tay. Christine is the founder of Tay Financial Coaching, which provides tax consulting and financial coaching services to often high-income individuals and couples still struggling with money in the San Francisco Bay Area. What's unique about Christine, though, is the way that she's building a successful financial coaching practice by not only systematizing her coaching packages for clients, but also systematizing her marketing process via LinkedIn to scale her reach to be able to get a high enough volume of clients to make the coaching business work. In this episode, we talk in depth about how Christine structures her financial coaching services for clients, why the focus of her work is on short-term cash flow tracking for clients and not necessarily their long-term retirement plans. The reason she insists that clients track their spending manually in a spreadsheet and not use online tools like Mint.com, the four and eight-week financial coaching packages that Christine created for clients to be more scalable than hourly coaching, and also helps her find better fit clients, and why Christine's philosophy is to teach her clients to fish and that she tries to graduate them to become self-sustaining and not remain her long-term clients. We also talk about how Christine markets her services, given the reality that she may need to find one to 2,000 clients to work with in the coming decades to achieve her own business goals, why Christine chose LinkedIn as her social media platform of choice to build her personal brand and market herself, the daily LinkedIn routine that Christine goes through to maintain her marketing presence, and the tools that Christine is now using to add live streaming to her weekly LinkedIn marketing routine. And be certain to listen to the end where Christine shares how she made the transition and took the leap from quitting her stable corporate job for the entrepreneurial path of becoming a financial coach, why she chose financial coaching and not the traditional RIA business model as her approach to working with clients, and the mindset shift that she had to go through in order to start building a successful financial coaching business. And so with that introduction, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Financial Advisor Success Podcast with Christine Tay. Welcome, Christine Tay, to the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. Hi, thank you, Michael. I'm so glad to be here. I'm I'm really looking forward to today's episode and, and our discussion. You know, you live, I guess, at least in our industry, traditional industry framing and in, in kind of a I guess I would sort of call it financial advisor adjacent role. You I know you market yourself as a financial coach, which for at least some who follow the industry, sort of this dividing line of money and financial related advice that isn't necessarily done under the you know the industry's FINRA brokerage or registered investment advisor realms. Like it's not about financial services products or even portfolios. It's just literally the money advice and coaching itself. But this is an area that I see just blending together more and more in what we do, you more growth in financial coaches as a business unto itself, financial advisors, as we increasingly move away from a product-centric world and into a world where our primary value is not just the raw technical advice, but the coaching and helping clients implement it, that I'm just I'm really excited to talk about these kind of intersections of what you're building and living and seeing in the financial coaching world, what we're doing in the financial advisor world, how these are 
maybe even blending together into sort of one unified value proposition around just helping clients get better about their finances and, and actually do all that financial change stuff that we talk about in trying to help them get to better outcomes. Yeah, thank you, Michael. So the premise of my work is really um, building your relationship with money. Because end of the day, we, you know, um, it's all about how is your relationship with money? I mean, is it bad? Is it good? Do you get stressed about money? So it's really funny because I just interviewed Dr. Brad Klons. I don't know you know him. So it was, he was on my live stream on Monday. So he was telling me that he did a study of two groups of people. One group of people, he only taught them financial literacy about, you know, just everything practical, right? And another group of people, he only he taught about all just money mindset and stuff like that. So what happened was that the people in the financial literacy uh, group A increased their savings by twenty percent, and the people in group B increased their savings by seventy percent. So that tells me mindset is so important. So when I work with my clients, I marry the practical aspects of money as well as the relationship with money, the emotional side of money. Because if I don't marry the two is very hard for them to um, succeed. Like when I was, when I be, I started in September 2016. So when I initially started, I was focusing more on the practical aspect of money. Like, you know, like budgeting, cash flow, like just teaching them pretty much. I mean, end of the day, it's quite simple, right? Pluses and minuses. But a lot of people are struggling with that. So after I just realized that it's very hard for people to succeed if I don't really um, go over their, you know, their money history, their traumas, their history history our money. So we really have to deep dive and I have to address like what are their mindset around money? How were they raised around money? What were they thinking around money? So as soon as I integrate that, a lot of my clients have succeeded even more. And and so as you get into those kinds of questions with clients, like are you just literally asking those questions? Like how do you how do you even start opening the the door to that. I mean, I'm imagining someone just coming in saying like, you know, I've got some debt problems. I need to get all, I need to get a handle on this. You're like, tell me about your money mindset. It's like, I I had debt questions. (laughs) Like what? How does that flow in practice? How do you, how do you get someone there quickly to have these conversations? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So part of my intake is that, you know, I will I'll have a form that asks them all this money history questions. So they have to fill that up. I read through that. And then the foundation of my work is is around budgeting. So I teach them budgeting. So basically what happened is that things just pop up. Like when we do the budgeting, like, you know, I, I make them do money dates. So they have to track every single thing that goes in and out. And then the reason for that is for financial awareness. I do not want them to use any automated product. So I need them to follow my system to actually manually track it. And the reason there is, there is a you know big reason for doing it manually because then they're proactively managing and then paying attention to the, what they spent. So every time they spend on whatever Starbucks or whatever, they have to track that and I need them. And then, and every week when we meet up, so I ask them questions, how did that make you feel tracking? And then usually for a lot of my clients, initially, they always said, yeah, it, it stressed me out. I'm like, you know, I hate doing this. I hate looking at my money. I hate looking at my 
my dad, then then that's the time it opens up conversations like why do you hate you know looking at your finances? Like where did that come from? And also we go about to talking deeply into all that money history questions. So it's a lot of questions, and sometimes some of my clients we have to do a money bio. Like for example, we go through you know age by age, year by year, just talking about how their life is. So it really depends on the client how in depth um, I work with them on that money issues. So you you had a lot of interesting pieces that you just mentioned there of of. And what parts of this process look like? So I, I, I want to understand these a little bit more because we just, you know, I think our traditional financial advisor, we so don't live in the realm of budgeting and in, in part because it's very hard to have those conversations with clients. I, I sometimes sort of jokingly say, you know, overgeneralizing a little, like there's two types of clients that we end up working with. Those who are really financially organized and know where all their money goes and don't have a lot of budgeting questions. And those who have absolutely no idea where their money goes and really need help with budgeting that we can't help them with because they have no idea where their money goes. Right. It's like either, either they already know and they're organized or they're so disorganized. I don't even know how to give the money about uh, advice about it in the first place. And so I'm fascinated. Just this is the center of your work and where it starts including right out of the gate, like just making them manually track their money and recognizing that they're going to hate it and that that's part of the part of the process and the and the conversation. So how like how does that even get get started? Like what do you what do you actually ask them to do to start manually tracking their money? Yeah, so very simple. So basically, the intake form I ask them to do before we start working together. So basically, I, I review their tax return because I'm an IRS enrolled agent as well. I make them fill up this spreadsheet that, uh, you know, my tool is really just a simple spreadsheet that I build over time. So they have to fill up all their non-discretionary expenses, all their assets, or their liabilities. Then they also fill up a word document for all their money history. I review their paycheck. And then that's pretty much it for the most part, unless they have other things they want to show me, like their RSU, ESPP. That's more so I can just read them and then I can just see the overall picture where they're at. So basically our first session, we're going to build their budget. So based on what they told me, then I'll just guide them. How are you going to track this? You have to track this manually. And then the, the challenge for a lot of my clients initially is that they just hate doing it. And I told them like, Every time you spend any money, any money movement, you earn money, money comes in or money goes out, you have to track every single penny. And I'm not joking. You track every single penny. And then like, actually it, it is, and I was telling them, this is actually easier than losing weight because with calories, it's like, you know, you don't exactly know how much calories is in food or how much calories you're burning, right? So I tell them this is actually a lot easier than losing weight in, in terms of tracking. So when I tell them in that sense, they're like, yeah, you're right. I can actually get to the cents, to the penny, how much they've spent. So, so that's that's usually the first problem I have with my clients. The challenges is just to get them to tracking because they just hate it. But, but that's just part of the work that I do. So I transform the relationship to budgeting because, like, a lot of people feel like, okay, budget—that's such a yucky word. Uh, like they always feel like, you know, like they're I don't know suppressed or something. So, but, but then I told them no. With budgeting, you you are training your money that you are becoming the boss. 
money is your employee. So so that's all part of it. And then and then being having a budget, you are in control. You tell money where to go. You know, there's so much power when you actually know how to budget. So I think over time then they realize that and there's just so much conversation every week. Like during the tracking, there's I mean, it's unbelievable. Some people just have so much issues with that. And then they don't know where their money goes. You can't believe how many subscriptions they have that they just don't know about. And then they always tell me like, because one of the big categories for a lot of people is food, right? They always say, yeah, I don't spend much on food, whatever. Like, oh, it's only $400 or $300. And by the time they do track, usually sometimes it's double that amount. And money is usually the, the biggest category that people spend on. I mean, I mean, food is the biggest category. Like, it's just basically anything you consume, right? Whether that's alcohol, drinks, snack, everything. And, 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 you, and I live in Silicon Valley Bay Area, right? People here, most of my clients who came from here, they love eating out. I love eating out too, but I make sure I have enough money in my budget to pay for eating out because that's one of the things I hate cooking so I would I, I'm happily uh, put a lot more money in my food category so in the Bay Area like even some people they overspend they can spend up to a thousand dollars or even more per person on just food and I think that's that's you know I mean like it, it I don't judge my client I mean like if they have the budget for the food they love eating out for sure then fine then you know then you have to make sure that you can afford the food category i mean if you're going negative then i have a problem with that i mean if someone wants to drink every day whatever go to the bars every day now they can't but if they do want to drink every day i mean i'm not going to judge them on that i mean i'm not you know i'm not their health counselor or whatever they're not going to you know the aa meeting so so as long as they're on positive cash flow i i'm i'm not going to judge them you know i only will have a problem if they're on negative cash flow then i'm going to have to tell them yeah you can't afford this lifestyle because the most important thing they have to be on passive cash flow that's that's my number one thing they have to get to passive cash flow and then after that first step if they're able to build that foundation that they're always aware they're all, always on passive cash flow then we're gonna focus on you know what other things can you work on like you know maybe start increasing your retirement then start maybe um, investing you know then I, I you should guide them to like you know there's better men there's wealth front if you don't want to do it yourself so so yeah, I mean, it's a step-by-step progress, but the first foundation is really to get to positive cash flow. That's very, very important. And then there's a lot of people who struggle with that, just getting to positive cash flow. They just don't understand. And and so why, still just help me understand, why, why do they have to track it manually, right? I mean, at least if they want to get a handle on where their money's going, we do have some tools, mint.com, and I know, I know there's other modern tools starting to crop up now. Why the insistence they have to do it manually? Yeah, that's a very, very good question. I do have clients who complain about that. They're like, oh, I have Mint and my bank account and that. And I said, no, it's not going to work because what happened with Mint is that people just become reactive. They're like, oh, I don't know, after a week, how much did I end up spending? It's not a proactive approach. So when you do manually, like for example, I don't know, today after our call, I'm going to go out and then go to the grocery, buy $30 that I'm going to track that in my uh, sheet. Like, oh, I already spent $30. How much is left for the month? And then like, I also use my budget to like confide in it. For example, like, I don't know, in my fund category, I only have $300. Then for example, oh, I want to buy these shoes as $100 for some reason, like sale, whatever. So if I put $100, okay, how much more uh, do I have left? It's like, oh, I still have some money, $100 left. And then like, and then, and then let's say they come up like, you know, so 
for some people who have problems with like, you know, shopping on Amazon, they're like, oh, I want to buy another $100 hoodie or something. Actually, it's, it's a recent client who did that too. So I said, you know, you have to confide in your budget. Can you afford another $100 hoodie? So they have to confide in that. And then like when they manually track it, then it's forced them to like, yeah, I think I'm going to go negative already. So it's more like I just need them to be proactive. The, the tendency with the automated stuff is that some of my clients, they become reactive. And I really don't want that. I need them to always be on top of their budget. And then like there's a difference, I think, when you actually manually do something versus you're just uh, looking at how much have you spent so far. Like it's a different mindset. So the idea is if I'm if I'm tracking this in mint, like, okay, Every week or few weeks or whatever it is, I'll go in and be like, huh, I spent a lot of money on restaurants over the past few weeks, as opposed to when you're manually tracking in real time. And the moment you go over your planned budget, you're going to see it because you're manually tracking it in real time. And so it, it, I guess it would, it, like, it would force you to be more self-aware of the problem behavior or spending and change it more immediately because that's what happens when you are like hands on tracking it as you go and not just looking later at whatever the technology captured. Exactly. And then Michael, I mean, this is not applicable for everyone, of course. I think for some people who are already always on positive cash flow, they have, you know, they make very good money. Then I think mint might work, but I'm talking about clients who come to me who's on negative cash flow to begin with. So they need a system when they're always on top of their finances because that's the most basic thing. They need to be aware of their finances. And how do you make them really aware? I make them track it manually because they have to, because they have to see where their money is spending. They have to confide. Can they afford it? So it's a whole exercise trying to transform someone's relationship with someone who doesn't know where their money is going. Someone's on negative cash flow. So they need a system where it forced them to actually look at money. And then of course, like forcing them to look at it and forcing them to look at the emotions that pop up, you know, what are all the negative emotions? Like, how are you feeling? Like, why do you have this need to constantly buy on Amazon? Because I, I have a lot, couple of clients who are Amazon, you know, uh, <laughs> addict. Like they just like to spend, spend, spend. And usually the issue with that is- You just like to click, click, click. You you click and it shows up and you click and it shows up. It's a glorious thing. <laughs> I think I think we have, a, we have a pretty healthy Amazon habit around our house as well. Like it's- it's it's addictive in the modern era. Like I thought of a thing I want. I click a button and Amazon makes it appear in a few hours. Exactly. And then it's a prime membership. It's like, oh, okay, deliver in like a day or two. And then and the thing is that if you click, click, and then like I want them, if you click that button, you better put it in your budget spreadsheet that you just spent that money. And then know how much you've spent and how much you've saved. So then I it just forced my client to actually really look at their habit. And you know, and then it's just like there's just so much more awareness and then like usually the, the reason people are ad- addicted to shopping is because like they, they don't know what else to do. Sometimes they're just not fulfilled with their life. And then we address that. So a part of my work is also I do some sort of life coaching with my client too. Like example, one of my young clients, so she's in her 20s, she's a single mom. I actually got her to quit her job. At, you know, uh, She was working at Tesla doing graveyard shifts. So I, I encouraged her to find another job closer to home. So when she found another job closer to home, she got 20K increase and then it was much closer to her home. So she she was much happier. And then, and also the, so, so when she graduated, when I say graduate, that means that she became positive cash flow. She's on her way to paying her debt. So, so she's very happy. She's now, I, I, 
she's now graduated to using a credit card again because when she started working with me, she had credit card debt and a bunch of other loans, right? So now she 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 got rid of them. She only have a car loan now, which is you know it's like a five year term. So she's she's not qualified to refinance that yet, but that's an okay loan, right? So she got twenty k more, and then and now she's going back to using credit card now because she's always on positive cash flow. So then she was asking me like you know she she wanted to do some you know the where young women in their 20s they they struggle sometimes with their self image so she she was starting to gain weight she wanted to do some you know some surgery you know like liposuction whatever so so we we got into talking i'm so glad she opened up with this you know that's part of my work with my clients i need them to open up about this topic you know she could easily hide it right like she said yeah i only have a few thousand dollars right i can spend it on like liposuction and then i'm glad she talked to me about it she's like christine i'm thinking about that so what i did was that you know then it's like in, so she could easily just spend on that one, right? But then the thing is that it's not really going to solve your self-esteem issue. So we need to look deeply. It's like So so I encourage her to actually read some books and then do some more work internally because I, I had been there, right? You know, I, I mean, I'm almost 40, so I know how it feels to be a young woman in their 20s, you know, suffering from like self-esteem, self-confidence issues. So we worked through that. I told her, you know, give yourself a chance, maybe six months to work on your diet work on your exercise because I asked her, how's your diet? How's your exercise doing? She said, yeah, not too good, whatever. I said, you know, focus on that first. Focus on self-love, taking care of yourself and then your spiritual growth. And then and then just promise me that, do that for six months and then let's see how it goes. So she's actually doing well. She's listening to what I'm telling her. She's one of my favorite clients because she listened to my homework, that does everything I told her. So she's just doing all that. She's exercising now, trying to eat healthy. And then, so I don't think she's ever she might not you know have to do that liposuction because that's the thing you know when you do those type of surgery it doesn't really you know it doesn't solve your internal issue so a lot of people who who spend their issues really you know internally as well they don't find fulfillment in something and that's my job to really dig deep like where is that? Let's find fulfillment in that. Like some people, they might not be fulfilled with work, right? So they they might just shop or do other things because they're not fulfilled in something else. Like I I know a lot of people, they're just not happy being an employee. I mean, I was not happy being an employee. So I was happy to quit my job last year and I, I, I couldn't be happier. I, I love being an entrepreneur. Yeah, I understand. I'm, I feel sometimes like I'm borderline unemployable myself. <laughs> definitely, definitely get it. So, so as you're doing this kind of tracking with clients, like how literally do you have them track it? Is this like a smartphone app, a pen and paper thing, a like spreadsheet you give them? I mean, just how, how are they actually supposed to track it since you're, you're asking them to do it manually? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's basically Excel and upload to Google Sheets. So you can just open it from your mobile phone and then just update from there. Okay. And and that's like a spreadsheet template you give them? Yes, 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 exactly. So I have an online course for budgeting and it's, it's basically Excel. So funny thing, I don't really need to use so much cool tools. I mean, I do use a tool called personal capital. Just That's just more for my investment because there's no way you can track that manually, right? For my budgeting, like I even have my own budgeting spreadsheet since, I don't know, 10 years ago. So I've been doing this for 10 years because there's no way I can keep track of this in my head as well. So I need to write that down. And also when I did my own retirement model, I use, I basically just use Excel too. When I did my modeling, like I 
I even had two CFP review my retirement model. So, hey, did I miss anything? So, so that's how it gave me the confidence to quit my job. Because when I did my retirement model, it was based on like me not being profitable till I'm 70 years old, meaning I'm only making enough money to get by. And then I'm going to start ma- taking money out from 70 till 90. Well, don't ask. I, I only did my my lifestyle till 90. So so I did my retirement model on that. And then it gave me the confidence that I do have enough money and finances to actually live till 90. And then, and then fortunately, I've been profitable. So I've been putting more money and growing more of my money for my retirement fund. So, so what happens if, I mean, do you get clients that just say like, I, I, I'm, I'm just not manually tracking it. Like I'm just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it. Either they won't, or they say like, look, Christine, I'll, I'll like, I'll, I'll use mints. Like I'll do something automated, but I'm, I'm just not doing your manual thing. Yes, yes. I mean, there was one client, she was working for Amazon and then she she's making very good money and then she she really didn't want to do it manually. So, so I was okay with that because she was as long as she's aware where her money's going like end of the month we look at mint, but for the most part everybody all the rest of my clients, they track it. And then the reason, Michael, they even come to me is because they don't know where their money's going. And usually they're more than happy. And then they're more than happy to do any work I tell them to do. And then when they do the work, and then they're usually pretty successful. And then what happens is that after I told them, like during our fourth session or eighth session together, I just need you to try this system out and see how you feel. Okay. If you end up hating it, then okay, we're gonna we're gonna talk about something else. But for the most part, I mean most of them are happy with the template I give them because it's very easy. It's not a hard template. It's not like you have to track so many categories. No, really. The only, I mean, I mean, Michael, if you think about it, like after you do it for like a month or two, like once you gain the habit, really, I mean, if you spend something on Amazon, let's say, I mean, how long does it take for you to type up something on a spreadsheet? It only takes a few seconds. So that's why I always tell them it only takes you a few seconds. And then, but then you have so much benefits. And then when they grab that concept, then they're like, yeah, you know what? It's actually not that hard because then, and then I think one of the questions I get asked by my clients, like, oh, after we finish working eight months, can I stop tracking? So I I asked them, well, if you're trying to cut down sugar or whatever, trying to be healthy, do you stop being healthy after working with a health coach? You don't, right? This is a forever thing. I said money is something you have to take care of forever. Just like your health, you have to take care of it forever. So so they're like, oh, okay. So so I'm trying to instill in them a habit that doesn't co- uh, you know, cost them a lot of time. It only takes them a few seconds. So I think like once they grab that, that, hey, it's actually not much work. And then, and then like I... I tell them, you know, with your spreadsheet, you can use that for a lot of things. You can use that for your taxes. You can use that for your retirement planning. You can use that for a lot of things. And then it's not, you're not using the spreadsheet just, you know, to track your investments. No way, because there's no way you can track your investments by there. But this is just for your budget, day-to-day cash flow management. And then, you know, when they they grab it, then they love the spreadsheet. Like, you know, the clients who are successful with me, you know, they're still using it even till now. I mean, I do have maybe one or two who, who hated it. So one actually found YNAB, you know, which I know Garrett Philvin is came on your show. So yeah, she, I mean, like he, he did use, decide to use YNAB, but the thing is that I'm not a big fan of using app because like I love spreadsheets. So maybe it's just me. And then I tell my clients, you know, I work with spreadsheet. I love spreadsheet. And then like, I make sure the template is easy for you. So, so it depends. I mean, one of my clients, he found YNAB and then it helped for him. So I'm willing to work with them too, if they can find it. But for the most part, most of my clients, you know, they don't know anything. So then I, I usually just introduce them to spreadsheet and then they don't have a spreadsheet. It's Google Sheets. So it's really, 
completely free. They don't have to spend anything. Well, and you make an interesting point that when the people you're working with are folks that are having budgeting and financial money problems, and they don't have a good handle on where their money is going, and that is an actual problem for them that they are trying to solve for, the whole dynamic starts to look a little bit different because they are seeking a solution. Like That's why they came to you in the first place. So so presumably, like it gets a little bit easier to manage and say, hey, if you really want to get control of your finances, here's the thing you got to do because they came to you and said, tell me what I have to do. So like you're just telling them. It's not like you're imposing a thing out of the clear blue sky. They started with a problem and a pain point for which they're looking for a solution. And this is the solution that you're bringing to the table. What do they do with this tracking? I think you had briefly mentioned a money date and weekly meetings. Like what, what happens in your process once clients start tracking their money and their finances this way? Yeah. So I like to make it fun for them. I said, you know, spend time with money. You know, it's called money date. So like with anything, Michael, in your life, right? It's like you build a relationship. Okay. So money is like, how do you build a relationship with money? You nurture it. You spend time with it. So same thing with it. Like, you know, you, how do you build a good relationship with yourself? So you spend time trying to get to know you. So it's, it's actually quite funny, right? Like some people, they don't even know themselves, you know? So, so, so that's the thing, same thing with money. So I, you do money dates so that way you can spend time with money. You sit down, I don't know, if you want to have a candlelight wine, that's that, that's up to you. So so with couples, like I, I joke with them, you know, have money dates. You know, like what tell me a date you can actually uh commit to having money dates. So I think in the beginning, I try to make it easy for them. I said, Okay, you need to have a money dates at least twice a week. Okay. Because some of my clients who hate tracking, they literally like track it like, you know, like an hour before a session with me. I said, no, that's not going to work. That's not the purpose of tracking. You have to tracking as as you go, not like as a homework, like an hour before seeing me. So that's the problem I have to with some clients because they literally thought it's just a homework for me. I said, no, this is not for me. This is for you. So at the minimum, twice a week. And then like some of my clients who actually end up loving the budgeting. So so ideally, I'd like to do it, them to do it as they go. Like, for example, if they have any anything that happened today, then they're going to have to track that. They're going to go on their phone and then type it in. Or if they're in front of their laptop, they type it in. Or like if they really don't want to do that, then I have to kind of slowly make them like the budgeting as I work with them. So at the minimum, it's twice a week uh, to begin with. <laughs> and and so what is it what does it mean when you say you're you're doing a money day? Cuz I admit like I when I first heard you say this at least my head was where I've seen a few other coaches talk about money dates. This is like me and my spouse sit down and talk about our money and our finances, but it sounds like that is not your context here. Money date just literally means like you sit down with your spreadsheet on a date that may or may not involve candlelight and and get a little <laughs> more familiar with each other. Yes, yes. Money date just involves anything to do with money. Because like uh, for a lot of people, I mean, the ones who come to me, like they just have problems even looking at their finances. So when you frame it in a way, money days, it just means anything to do with money. When you look at your money, you look at your bank accounts, you look at your spreadsheet. So those can be money days. You're just spending dates here and there. It doesn't have to be a big date. So a big date could be maybe between you and your spouse, you're trying to, I don't know, buy a Tesla or something like that. Then that's a big money date. Then maybe 
maybe you need a wine or a whatever, then talk about it and then look at your spreadsheet. But but yeah, you can have money dates as frequently as you can, you know, and then uh, I think as much as you can whenever there's any money movement so you can confide in money. But in essence, money date just means like taking 15 or 30 minutes and sitting down with your spreadsheet and applying some conscious thoughts to something. Maybe you're just looking where your spending's going. Maybe you're making an actual spending, conscious spending decision, but just a money date is taking conscious time and focus to say, I'm going to pay attention to what's going on with my money for a few minutes here. Exactly. Exactly. Just like when you have a date, you know, with a new person, you know, new girl, new guy, then you're, you're paying conscious attention to the other person. So, so this is honoring money, you know, honoring the time and then, and then really paying attention, you know, where's my money at right now? Just like when you're having a date with a new person, you know, you're honoring that person, you're putting aside the time, you're putting your phone away, whatever, because you're trying to get to know the other person. So when you do little money dates, like only 10, 15 minutes, I mean, you're getting to know your finances. So you really, it's really important that people understand, you know, you have to honor money because if you don't learn how to honor money, how can money honor you? If you don't know how to take care of money, how can money take care of you? So that's a very important concept for, you know, some people just struggle to, to grab on. But I think as they continue to work on this budgeting, they get comfortable with it, then it, it just becomes easier over time. Where does your role then come into this? Like, what is what is your process, like sort of part in this process? If you've set them up to say, like, okay, we did an initial meeting, I'm going to have you start tracking your spending on an ongoing basis. You have to do it manually. Here's the spreadsheet. I want you to spend at least twice a week with money dates where you take a little time and just get a little more familiar with your money. Where do you come in next? Like, How does the actual coach client process work? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when we meet weekly for people who struggle with um, negative cash flow, so we will meet weekly to begin with. For some clients who are doing better, then we kind of space it out to every two, three weeks. So basically, so the next week they come to me and then like we'll review their finances, their budget. And I ask them a lot of questions like, how was the process like? How did it make you feel? And then, and Michael, usually the first two sessions for my new clients, they, they do everything wrong. They just, they just don't do the homework right. So the, that's the first problem. And then like the second problem is that once they figure out how to do it right, then, then we, I have to ask them, you know, what, you know, what, what's going on, you know, are they, what are the challenges you have to tracking? And then like, sometimes a lot of them, they just, they just have no idea. They have like maybe three or four credit cards. They're like, Oh, I don't know. I said, you have to look at everything. So we kind of, and then through that budgeting system, then we're going to go over, you need all the three credit cards. Then we're going to talk about maybe cutting two of the credit, not cutting. I mean, okay, maybe cutting it and just putting it on the side, but just we're trying to organize their finances. So it's actually, um, you know, they're not, everywhere you know like they don't have multiple savings account they don't have multiple checking account unless it's really needed they don't have multiple credit cards so so it's it's a mix of practical and also the emotional aspect as we work through that weekly and then also you know things come up like their taxes they they also ask a lot of questions about that so so my role is really about the budget we revolve on budgeting so a lot of the questions do come up from there like you know all their struggle and then throughout that you know after we review their uh, budgeting stuff, then we go to their money history. Then we start talking about their history around money. Then that kind of will give me a better understanding, like why they spent the way they spent. So as I kind of alternate between both of them throughout all our session. And so how many, God, frame this as sessions, like how many sessions are there for clients that go through this with you? 
so there are two types of clients. So one client who really struggle with like, they just have literally no idea where their money goes. And then they're a negative cash flow. So I, I recommend a minimum of eight sessions. So for the clients who kind of like, you know what, I, I'm on positive cash flow. And then, you know, I, I do save money every month. Then then I think four sessions might be enough for them because for them, they literally just want someone to review their finances, to just like where they at, you know, like educate them on taxes. Because a lot of people, they don't understand taxes at all. So usually when I explain to them, I explain to them in a way that they actually truly understand it. Like, you know, just the first two pages of your 1040, how's that connected to your paycheck? And then, so, you know, what is the withholding? And and sometimes that's just the most simple stuff. They don't understand it. So the four session, and then they also just want someone to teach them a new system for budgeting because they, even though they're on positive cash flow, they, they sometimes feel like, Oh, I don't know. Some months I'm positive, some months I'm not. So they just want to have more control over it. And then, and usually the people who feel they're on positive cash flow, they, I mean, their main concern really is that they don't have much control over their money. They, they still don't know. Like, I, I mean, I don't know how much I'm, you know, saving or whatever. I know I'm from positive cash flow. So, so the concept really is around, you know, just being in control of money. They know exactly where their money's go. So is there a four or eight session depending on um where my clients are at? And so, and these are like one hour sessions that are happening weekly. So this is essentially like a, a four week, one, one hour a week engagement or an eight week, one hour a week engagement. Yes. Yes. They're give or take one hour by zoom video conference. Okay. So you're doing this virtually, not even necessarily bringing them together in person. Nope. Before the coronavirus, um, people around my area who find me on Yelp, because most people who are around my area, you know, like Silicon Valley area, they will either, they find me on Yelp. So if they're close enough, then I, I do meet them at the local library. So <laughs> I'm very uh, cost efficient. So I, I there's a conference room at the library that I can just borrow for free. And then like, so we just meet them there. I mean, that's very rare. So Michael's probably only 10% of my clients who actually want to meet in person. I do notice that the young ones, they're they're just okay with remote. So the, the older ones tend to like, oh, yeah, I want to meet you in person. So unfortunately, now because of the coronavirus, I mean, they're forced to just do it virtually. And actually, for my preference, I do prefer virtually because then, you know, I I, I don't like to have to change to go out. So that's just me. I, I, I love working from home. I love remote work. But I do have to honor some people just feel more comfortable to see you in person. So you do these weekly meetings for four to eight weeks and then when when they're when they're done they're done like been a pleasure working with you for the past eight weeks seems like you made some great progress like wish you the best going forward and like and and that's and that's that they've they've got their tools and are hopefully are, are moving forward on a positive basis from there yeah, so Michael, what I what I'm proud of the work that I do is that I I get them to the point. So I follow the philosophy. I will teach you how to fish. So I want them to get to a point wherein they know their finances because I truly believe no one should care about your finances but you. So I'm just a guide. So you know after our sessions that you're on top of your finances. But I do have clients who want to continue working with me after because then they want to you know someone to hold them accountable. Then they 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 just want someone to talk to. So the two young clients, the one that I just told you an example of, and I have another young client, um, both of them are 
continually working with me. Actually, my other client came on live stream with me. And then, you know, I was, I was so happy that she agreed to come on live stream with me to just share her experience. But both of them actually, um, you know, because like, I think they kind of see me like an older sisters and then they still they they do want someone to talk to. And then just in even like a life coaching and then because like money is so connected with life, right? So a lot of your decisions around life has to do with money. So we meet, I basically just meet with them like every three weeks now. So even three to four weeks, as long as like we touch base once a month and it's, it's very short. It's like 30 minutes, but that's only for some people. Some of the other clients, actually most clients, I mean, they're okay. And then like, I have no problem with that because like, you know, I mean, I, I, w- I wish you the best. And then like, and then if you have any questions, like for example, any big decision they have to make, for example, they want to buy a big a house whatever for the first time and they need someone to just you know walk through all their finances and I said you can just pay me pay per session and then some of my clients do do that and then I have other clients who came to me to do their taxes so like I just started offering taxes for the 2019 tax return and then I had some clients who reached out to me and said hey I want you to do my taxes then we kind of catch up what's going on with them so so typically ideally that that's what I want I don't want my clients to be dependent on me I want them to like, you know, you have the foundation, you know what you're doing, you know, you're always on positive cash flow, you're confident about your finances, and you, you just come to me when you have a big decision to make or when you need someone to do your taxes. And and that's what made me feel like I'm, a, you know, like I, I did my job as a coach because I don't want someone to be dependent on me. So so talk to us about the business then of of how this works. Like what do people pay for you know, four, uh, four weekly sessions, eight weekly sessions. Like what's the, what's the business model behind this of how you get paid? Yeah. So Michael, before I quit my corporate job, I was pretty much selling pay per session. But you know, as when I quit my job, of course, that's not going to work. Otherwise, if I do pay per session, then I literally need like 10, 20 clients or, or more, right? A month. And, and I'm like, yeah, that's, that is not going to work if I'm going to have a profitable business. So I did uh, only sell packages now. So I started, you know, um, initially on the lower end. And now that I got to the point where I, I figured out what's a right pricing point for me. So because what happened when I was uh, charging at the lower end before, I was attracting clients who was not serious. Like, like first of all, you have to, you have to find some clients, if they're on negative cash flow, they have to come to the point where they're really ready to make the change. And sometimes when we charge on the lower end, it's actually it's actually kind of, you know, an, like they come to me, they need help, but if they didn't pay enough, they're not willing to do work. So it's actually kind of funny. And then like, I was a little frustrated because I want to help them. But the thing is that they're not doing the work and then we're just, you know, we're just wasting each other's time, right? So I kind of got to the price point of like, you know, um, doing the four session for like $1,200 and then the eight session, $2,000. And I don't offer discount, but I do offer um, installment plans for people who, who can't afford it. So so literally, I, w- I will work with whatever's on their budget as long as they can commit to a down payment upfront, then we will work some sort of installment plan so they can afford the rest of the four, you know, four session or the eight session. So that's that's like a healthy size number at the end of the day of twelve hundred or two thousand dollars, which I guess if these are nominally like one hour sessions that 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 you go through, like you're talking about two hundred and fifty to three hundred dollars an hour for the for the work that you're doing. I guess in in packages like this, you don't, as you said, you don't need ten to twenty clients a month to to make the math work. Now, like we can we can have a handful of clients a month and and still have it add up well. And you don't even need new clients every month because the eight 
week sessions last two months, so you only need them every other month to to make it work. Exactly. So, so my business model is really around like you know I just target to have I'm gonna give or take four new clients every month, and then it's not that hard. I mean, like as long as you know you you I always show up on social media. You know, LinkedIn is my go to. You know, every day you know you show up, you engage, and now I'm trying to grow on Instagram. Of course, I haven't figured Instagram out yet, but but LinkedIn is still my main thing. I just want to be very good at two social media, so LinkedIn, you know, and, and Instagram because I don't want my Facebook to become you know a business thing because I know some business coach told me, yeah, if you're going to be successful on Facebook, you kind of have to market on your personal page. And I really don't want that. I, I want my personal page on Facebook to be personal so I can just share whatever I want to even like flood my entire feed with all dog pictures. And I really didn't want that. So I decided, you know, <laughs> on LinkedIn and Instagram only, and they're primarily just all business. So, so you aim for Kind of taking four, taking on four new clients a month that work with you on an on an ongoing basis. So you, you know, not a horribly heavy client load. I mean, I guess at the, at the end of the day, on average, that's four clients, four sessions. Like this is sixteen hours, sixteen hours a month of active client meetings. Obviously, there's some prep and other stuff that goes on, but like got a, got a lot of flexibility on this. We're not we're not burying ourselves here and enslaving away on work. It's easier to do that when you can when you can charge two hundred and fifty three hundred dollars an hour. So, so help us understand just the, I guess the dynamic of taking people who are already having cash flow issues and, and charging them, you know, $250, $300 an hour or one or $2,000 for coaching and advice, right? I, I'm sure there's at least some people who are probably listening to this and saying like, how can you take someone who's already got debt and negative cash flow problems and charge them $2,000 for help? Is this like, you know, giving a drowning person an anchor to help them swim. Like, I mean, just, I'm not trying to pick on you for it, but just, I mean, how do you think about that? Or even just talk through with people that are saying, I know I need help, but I've already got money problems. I don't know if I can afford you, Christine. Yeah. Very good question, Michael. Yeah. So, so, well, I always ask my client or prospect who come to me, if you don't hire me, where will you be? <laughs> can, can you figure this out? So, so sometimes, you know, most of the time they realize they're better off seeking help. And then I have clients who actually are on negative cash flow. They have allowed debt. And then what I will tell them, hey, if you start working with me, yeah, you might have to charge $2,000 more on your credit card. But after you start working with me, we're going to get you, you know, in, in place. And then we're going to organize that. We're going to refinance that. And then I, I have several clients. Who, who were on negative cash flow and then like they literally have to charge on their credit card but they you know they believe in me they know my work and then I've helped them out so they need to realize I think that's that's the part too like I want to attract only serious clients so they I mean I I can't convince them, right? Like, like you know, they need to sign up with me, but they need to realize from there, you know, from the, you know, when they're ready, when they realize, yeah, they really need someone to get them out of here because if they don't, like that, whatever, that 10K debt might become 20K debt later on if they don't work with me. So if they start working with me, that 10K debt might be 12K debt, but then when you start working with me, that's going to shrink pretty quickly, you know, like as, as long as you do the work I tell you to do, you're, you're committed to this, you do the work, then you're going to get out bit faster. So yeah, I mean, I mean, why, why do you want to spend money when you don't have money? But you know what? I mean, I can help, <laughs> I can help them and I've helped people who are on negative cash flow. And then, and also, uh, Michael, uh, sorry, it's like, like I also 
offer the budgeting course for people who are just not ready to pay for that. So my budgeting course is only $49. So that way they can kind of get a sense of like um, how I work with them. And also I have come, um, someone actually gave me this idea. I think I'm going to do another online course for financial literacy. So at least it will be at a lower price point because I'm I'm so big on financial literacy. I, I think it's such so sad, like our education system. We don't teach finances in school. I mean, like it, it's, it's literally like, a life skill that's so 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 important i mean we we live in america where credit card is so easy like i i'm chinese i was born and raised in the philippines i mean when i left philippines you know i i immigrated here back in 2000 so before 2000 there you know nobody was using credit card yet like everyone was using cash so it's like the concept of credit card of maxing out your credit on minimum payment is something we're not used to that's why people like you know from the philippines or like i don't mean you know just generally like you know like people who are born in you know asia whatever or raised there they're just very good with their generally they're just very good with their finance because they don't use credit card but people who are raised here like credit card is just so easy like you know like you're not being taught like okay you max out on credit card 800 what 1000 then okay your minimum payment is only 25 dollars. so of course it makes it easy for people to just overcharge and then plus like to add to that no financial literacy then yeah you, our debt in this country is just gonna grow so i'm i'm very big on that and i, I i'm trying to think of a course to like something that's not too expensive that i can actually sell to maybe i don't know high school or college graduate as well, so that we just teach them about all the basics as well. But I get the the point that, you know, if you're doing one-off sessions, even for call it a few hundred dollars, like if you have someone whose problem is impulse buying decisions that have caused them to be cash flow negative, like, hey, come into me for an hour and I'll start talking about your your debt or your, your spending problems, you may not necessarily get the most committed people yet because we already know they may have problems with impulse buying for things that they don't stick with. When you amp up the stakes and say like, it's going to be $2,000, well, now the odds are very good that you're taking this very seriously. And if you take it very seriously, I like it. It might actually be easier to change someone's trajectory to be positive in $2,000 than it is to make back a, a $300 one hour session because they don't actually change their behavior after a $300 one hour session. They just spend the $300 and are $300 further behind with the same behavioral problems. And I had a reason why I, I set it up that way, the one, three, four, and the eight, because I'm trying to encourage people to to sign up for the eight session. <laughs> so, but I did have I did have people who did uh, pay for the one one session around this area. Like for example, I had clients who just want one off, like they wanted to buy a house, you know, especially in the Silicon Valley Bay Area. Like they needed someone to talk through, like is this a good decision? You know, will it work with my finances? So stuff. So so I've had some one off, but they didn't really struggle with any, you know, issues like negative cash flow. So those are the typically the people who buy my one-off session. But for the most part, all my other clients are either four session or eight session. And so now talk to us about just how you look at growing and building this as a business. You know, I, I think for most of us advisors, I mean, even when you talk about things like I need four new clients a month, like by traditional advisor world, that's a that's a big number. Like just that's a lot of people to be marketing for and getting on an ongoing basis. I think that's part of why for a lot of us as advisors, we tend to skew in the direction of maybe not trying to make clients dependent on us because that doesn't sound positive, but like trying to find clients that want to be in long-term permanent relationships with us. Like I, I feel like as advisors, we have this 
natural tendency and bias towards accumulating client relationships. And maybe part of that is just we like those engagements, but I, I think part of it is if it's so doggone hard to get a client, it's like you want people who are going to stick with you in the long run so that you're not always needing to go out and get new clients. And so I just I'm fascinated by this sort of view and philosophy of yours of I don't want my clients to be dependent on me. My goal is to teach you how to fish and you move on. And like, oh, I got to go get four new clients every month to to keep the motto going. Like, no big deal. I'm, I'll just go get four new clients every month. Like, how do you how do you think about that dynamic? Do you ever get the temptation to have long term models, or, or how do you how do you plan to keep pace with four plus new clients a month indefinitely? Yeah. So, Michael, I know that's that's one of the things the naysayers has told me. It's like, yeah, how can you keep up? You know, you have to come up with four new clients every month. That See, the thing is that I shift my mindset to one of abundance. You know, either you will have an abundance mentality or a scarcity mentality. So, like I was I was telling you before our, our recording was that, you know, I mean, to, if you think about it, like four new clients every month, you know, I mean, I'm almost turning 40 right now. So, it's like I'm if I'm going to work till 70, that's like... 2,000 new clients for the entire lifetime of my business to be profitable. So if you think of 2,000 new clients, like how many do we have in our population? How many is in the Bay Area alone, in Silicon Valley alone, in California alone, in like United States alone? I mean, there's such an abundance of people. Like I'm not even worried. I don't go about my month to month thinking, oh, I need four new clients. No, I, I go with the flow. I, I show up every day on social media. I make sure I give value because the thing I, I, I be, I've grown so much on LinkedIn was because I always provide value every single day. Like, like my clients come to me. I I mean, you know, the prospects, they message me, they like, you know, I love your content, you know, like I, it really speaks to me. So, so they come to me, you have to provide value. Then, you know, I trust, you know, you have, I'm, I'm a very spiritual person too. So I, I trust in the universe. I trust in having that abundance mentality. I trust that, you know, the right clients is going to find me as long as like, you know, you, you do what you're passionate about. You keep showing up, you show value, you, you provide. And then like every time I, when I talk to my prospects, you know, I, I actually, some people are surprised. Like I don't, I don't really follow up with my prospects because then if if we talk and if they're really interested, then you know I kind of just expect them to come to me and then hey, I'm ready to sign up the next day. But if they don't come to me, then I just focus on you know putting my energy on new clients, on, on providing value, on showing up, you know, everywhere just just so and then people can find me. And then I focus on attraction marketing. Like what can I do? you know, to attract the right people to me. So I, I yeah, so it, it has never been a problem. And like I was telling you, Michael, I quit in May of last year. So I have been profitable since I quit. The only one month I was not profitable was in July of last year. And that was during the summer, but that was about it. But then like I made enough in the other months to pad that negative month. But I mean, so what does that tell you? I mean, I've been, I I, I just passed my May, May 3rd was my one year anniversary. So so I, I haven't had a problem. And you know, I, I I might not make as much as I was in when I was working as an employee because I was working on visa. I mean, you know, we had great benefits. I was, you know, making good money there. But you know what? I mean, I, I that's why I post. I did a post like, what you have to find your what is your happy money number? You know, it might not be six figures. It might not be millions. But you need to figure out what makes you happy. What kind of lifestyle you want to live. So for me, the most important thing is that I'm profitable and then like I'm living a lifestyle that I'm very happy with. 
you know, I, I, you know, I get to be my own boss and, you know, I don't have to deal with anybody, but, you know, but myself when it comes to like trying to figure out, you know, the business rules and policies and stuff. And when you talk about this kind of being, being profitable, happy money number, I mean, do you have, are there expenses of the business or when you look at profitability, just, am I, am I making enough dollars to cover my, my personal expenses to live the lifestyle that I want? Yeah, so profitable means to me after uh, I made enough money to pay for my uh, business expenses, you know, that's including self-employment taxes and whatever other things. But you know what? My business, I don't have a lot of business expenses. So my overhead is very low. I pay for Zoom. I pay for Acuity, the scheduling app. And then I pay for this live stream app that I have to use so I can stream in multiple places. But it's very, very low. I don't I don't have a lot of expenses like besides the self-employment taxes. So I, I pay for it. And sometimes like when I need, you know, I don't even hire coaches. Like I didn't even hire a business coach because like I'm very good at figuring stuff out for my business. I feel like I, I was just meant to be an entrepreneur. So I, I, I'm, you know, everything just go with the flow. So yes, it pays for business expenses, plus it pays for all my personal expenses. And then, and then once that pays that off and then any extra, the, anything above that is all profit, then yeah, it goes to investments or savings. So talk to us then about like, where, where are you going to find, to find four new clients a month on an ongoing basis? You know, you, you, you sort of mentioned in there a, a, a label of, of attraction marketing and, and trying to attract people to you. And I, I know in practice, cause I've, I've seen like you are very, very engaged on LinkedIn as, as I think your, your primary social media marketing platform of choice. So talk to us more about just what is marketing to you? Like how have you gone about starting and from scratch being able to get a flow of clients that are coming in at four a month so that you're profitable from the first day when most of us have very slow ramp up periods when we launch our businesses. Like how does this attraction marketing LinkedIn thing work for you? Yeah. So Michael, I started my business September, 2016. So I was working, I was working full-time at Visa and I was, I was working nights and weekends for my business. So, and then if I have to recommend everybody else to uh, if they want to start a business please keep your day job so at least you you can start doing this on the side so always do that on the side i will never advise anyone anything else because i have two friends who literally just quit their job thinking oh clients are just gonna come to me whatever i'm gonna be profitable but it didn't work they end up having to find a part-time job after a few months because you know if you really ask any entrepreneur who are very honest with you i mean it's very hard to run out if you're starting from scratch i mean it's gonna take you time so i started september 2016 i was literally you know i was working and doing this on the side on nights and weekends for two and a half years before i quit my job i quit my full time job May of last year. So I already have enough traction. So I already have enough of the presence. Actually, I, I was not on, you know, much on social media at that time. I mean, I was kind of on LinkedIn, but I wasn't really marketing there. So most of my clients actually during that time came from either referrals or from Yelp. So I have a lot of reviews on Yelp. So there's actually a lot of, a lot of my clients actually come from Yelp. But then I realized, you know, when I quit my job in May, I'm like, I don't want to just have like, you know, one big 
referral source, you know? Like, I mean, I don't know, Yelp could go away, whatever. And then plus, like, I'm not really too happy with Yelp. I think if you talk to a lot of other entrepreneurs, Yelp doesn't really treat business owners very well. So I'm not going to get into that. But but after May, so, so then I realized I need to be on social media, right? So because, you know, I mean, social media, if you know how to use it, you have the entire world at your fingertips. You know, everyone's on social media, on the internet, whatever. So I, I, I had a choice between trying to either go on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. And then the, my my ideal client was working professional. I actually love working with young employees. So I said, where would they hang out? You know, where would professionals hang out? I mean, they're on Instagram too, but then LinkedIn is more oriented toward professionals. So then I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give this my best shot. So I think in September of last year, it's funny how it's September 2016 and September 2019. It's like around that September, there's like a magic month or something. So I started fully dedicating on it. I just start showing up. I start engaging. I start really learning the platform. So so it was like, yeah, it's just, it just got, went from there. I, I started with, I think, 3,000 followers in September. And now it's already end of May. So I, I went to 52,000 followers. And that's mainly from showing up every day and, you know, and then just, just giving value and then networking. Because you have to think of LinkedIn as a big networking platform. It's like, you know, there's so many people there and you can't come on LinkedIn thinking you just want to, you know, pick up clients, whatever. So I don't see it that way. And the thing is that I, I show up there to provide value. And then, of course, you know, primarily it's still for business purposes, but but I, I show up there to show value and then, you know, um, engage with people, you know, help people and then and, and let them come to me. And for the most part, most of them do just come to me. So that like just from sheer engagement and following in, in LinkedIn to, to propel from a few thousand people to 52,000 in, what are we now, like eight or nine months into into your process, just a, a, a monster number for how many people are following the content that you put out and what you're doing. So can you talk to us a little bit more about like what literally are you doing on LinkedIn that makes a zillion people show up and start following you like what what exactly do you do yeah so so it's very simple so my my daily routine so basically i wake up usually you know give or take 8 a.m pst and then like, I, I i post my you know content and then usually i don't plan my content weeks in advance it's usually like you know i go with the flow like the night before i'm like oh what do i feel like you know um sharing the next day so i'll write up my content the night before i prepare it so the next day all i have to do just copy and paste and then you know if it's picture video whatever so i try to alternate before between different contents per picture text and not so much on video now because i have live streams so people always see me on video now through my lives and they know i'm a real person they can interact with me and stuff so yeah i mean um that one i post content every single day you know and then i engage with them for the first hour because it's very important that when P- when you post and then you have to be on there to respond to all comments the first hour because then you want to show cuz i nurture my audience every time they they comment I always make sure to respond to them because that's how you nurture them because you just never know one of this audience, like they might need your help because I've gotten some clients just from the comments and it wasn't because I was went to them and said, hey, message me, DM me. No, it wasn't that. Like when they have a question regarding my content and I answer it and sometimes like, and I usually is, uh, go like, you know, yeah, if you ever need help, just let me know and then I let them come to me. So so, so those things and then, um, you know, with that, it's, it's sort of like, you know, you're finding leads as well through that and also 
also, you know, just to nurture everybody else. Like I'm networking, building relationship, responding to comments and make sure, you know, I, I always thank them because they took the time to comment on your post. So you need to also respond to that. And also it's not just me responding to my own content. I go out of my way to actually support other people. Because then, you know, it's a give and take relationship, right? It's, you're not just there to respond to your own content. You have to go out there and support others. Like, 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 you know, like I said earlier, it's a big networking platform. So you have to go out, engage. So, you, you know, networking is about engaging, getting to know other people, letting people get to know you. So I do maybe every day, I probably spend maybe give or take two hours on LinkedIn. So I, I you know, I do allow interaction with people. It's not just through my content. Like, I, you know, there's a lot of private messages too going on. And then, that's coming from, you know, either my audience or people who just reach out to me because they want me on their podcast or whatever, or write an article. So, so yeah, it's, it's for many reasons. So I, um, I do allow back end work there. And then I, I try not to spend too much time because otherwise I'm going to be in a rabbit hole of like, you know, LinkedIn all day. So I try to manage my time in between, but I do show up there every day. So it's really quite simple. Post content, engage support others and then and then come from a place of like you know you're there not for a, a quick you know a, a quick fix or like a quick client because I show up there on September but I didn't really start getting you know continuous leads to probably January so it took me three months to build my brand so because you know it, and it wasn't you know like you know some people they come on LinkedIn they're like you know what I want to I want to start finding leads I want to start finding clients and w- what they do is that they start doing the shotgun effect literally like message a bunch of people and then hoping some yeah, of them is going to I think come a lot of us have them. gotten those Twitter or those uh LinkedIn direct messages you know Dear Christine, I noticed we have a lot of acquaintances in common on LinkedIn I'd love to tell you about <laughs> yada 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 Yeah yep. I know Yep, yep, exactly. So I, I, I don't do that. So the, the only thing I, I, you know, like when I interact with my cl- people there on LinkedIn is usually because they already made some interaction with me. So either they like my content, they commented on my content. So then we can, you know, some of them, most of them, I have a offline conversation too. You know, I mean, outside of just outside the public comments. So we have private messages and sometimes they're interested to get on a call with me. Then I just put on, you know, send them the link to schedule a, a time with me. But yeah, no, I don't do those spammy messages because because i hated that i mean i have been on that side you know you hate it too every a lot of people hate it too but they just don't understand they just want a quick fix like okay i'm gonna go show up on linkedin i want to have all these clients come to me but it's so tiring you know you do the shotgun effect and i think a lot of salespeople do the shotgun effect and i don't want that i want attraction marketing like people come to me and it's not because out of pressure i like okay you know like when you get on a call with them you're trying to get them to close the sale like i don't come from that place anymore like you know if I get on a call with you. You're my prospect. Like, it's not like I don't get on a mindset like, oh, I got to close this deal before we get on the call. Then, no, I tell them, you know, if you need to take some time to think about it, then, then you know, think about it. And then just let me know if, what you want to do. And then I say, hopefully I can hear back from you. And then usually the serious one, they, they will come back to me and then let me know that they are interested to move forward. And so when you talk about just regularly putting out content, putting out daily content, like what is that? What is that? mean in practice? Like, what are you actually putting out as content? Yeah, exactly. So I make sure that because I'm not an investment advisor or financial advisor, so I don't put anything, you know, you will never see content that 
of, from me that will say, oh, yeah, this is how investments work, blah, blah. I, I, I steer clear from that. So I mainly focus on uh, money mindset, you know, on, on behaviors and stuff like that. Like, for example, I did a post about you can be broke making 150K and you can be rich making 40K. So that actually got a lot of engagement because a lot of people connected to that. So it's, it's stuff like that. Like, for example, I also did something about if you have not learned to manage $1,000, then you know you won't you won't be able to manage ten thousand dollars. So financial literacy is not you know a side effect of wealth. Wealth is a side effect of financial literacy. So it's like education like that. So and then sometimes I do a post stuff, inspirational stuff. So 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 Michael, I this is what I try to tell people or teach client uh, my clients like you know like you're on LinkedIn or social media to have a personal brand. So what does personal brand mean? It doesn't mean you talk about business all the all the time because then people want to get to know you who are you as a person right so i do share some of my content i mean 80 percent of my content is around money you know because i want to share people what i know that i'm a subject matter expert but 20 percent of that is like i post stuff about inspiration you know because i'm a spiritual person as well so anything that lifts you up that makes you feel good i also post that like the other day i posted something about you know competition is self-defeating you know i mean compa- i mean comparison is self-defeating because then i do get clients who keep comparing themselves like you know the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence right the person has a bigger house whatever so so in a way it's, it's inspirational but at the same time i connect that to to what i do to my clients, to money. So so I do try to tailor it wherein like it's a storytelling, but at the same time it makes the other person feel good. So whenever I do post, it's always around I always ask this question, like, you know, what value does this provide my audience? Because you don't post stuff like, oh, I don't know, you you you, you say stuff like, oh, I, I got 10 clients today, I made 10 10K today or whatever this month. Like it's about you, but then it's like what is the value to the audience? So if you're going to say something like that, then, you know, say something also that will provide value to the clients. Maybe you can say, oh, I made 10K this month. What did I do? Like, what can the audience do? What can what have I learned? So it will provide value to the audience as well. So mostly it's around that. And also sometimes personal stuff. Like, for example, I have two dogs. So I share stuff about my pets as well. I share picture, but that's only once in a while because I don't want it to be like Instagram, right? So so you, you do want to, show people who you are as well but at the same time you also want to educate so you want to you want to be crystal clear what is your personal brand what do you stand for what do you want people to know you like when they think christine tay what is that so so michael is actually quite funny like if you saw my headline i changed it i added money queen so so i didn't come up with that name i did not come up with money queen but, but some of my followers uh, gave me that name like i i did a post and then like i don't know there's this one follower of mine said oh that's so awesome christine i love your content money queen and then like a lot of people just jump in yeah christine you're the money queen whatever and i'm like oh that's 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 so cute and i said should i change my headline now to money queen they're like yes you should so so because of them i i just changed it and then i just added that because they gave that to me so that tells me i already have a personal brand on linkedin and then you know i didn't even come up with the name they gave it to me <laughs> so when you when you talk about kind of creating content and 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 posts like are you literally writing are you writing something every day like how long do you write what is the what's the process just that's a it's a lot of stuff it's a lot of content to put out <laughs> 
Yes, it, it is a lot of content. And sometimes like I, I when I feel like I'm starting to get burnout, then I do take a day off here and there. But for the most part, I do post daily. So what I do, I mean, and on LinkedIn, there's only a 1300 character if you're other unless you're doing an article. But for posts, it's really 1300 character. So you have to be very concise and then straight to the point and then it give value, right? So yeah, so how I get my post ideas are just on everyday, you know, everyday life. Like when I walk my dogs and then if something pops up to my mind, like I get inspired by something, I write it down on my notepad. So it's like, you know, on my mobile phone, on the notes app. So I write it down. So like any new idea, I write it down as a draft. Like, I don't know, for today, let's say, oh, I get inspired by fear or whatever or comparison. Then I'll do one note for that. So what I'll do like um, the night before, I'll go through all my draft and like, hmm, what do I get inspired to write about? What give me an idea? So the night before, then I'll, I'll, I'll write that up. Then I'm like, you know, I feel inspired to talk about comparison. So I'm going to write that up the, the night before. And it's really, it's only 1300 character. And sometimes I do tend to go over, then you have to know how to compact that to less than 1300 characters. Okay. Okay. So you're, you're, Right, like we're we're not writing giant books, we're write, not writing huge long things. Just, I mean, that's uh, I don't know five five to ten paragraphs or something to to get through. Just like you know, here's the beginning of a story, a couple of points, and a conclusion kind of thing. Yep, exactly, exactly. And make sure you always make sure in any of your content, what value does it provide the the audience you know it's all about what value it's really all about them it's not about you because then if the audience like you know like if you're gonna post content there and then nobody sees it you only have like a few people liking it or commenting then you're not gonna have visibility i mean what's the point of being on social media if you don't have the visibility so you need to learn how to grow that visibility because that is very very important like you know i mean if if i'm not visible and then it's like then you have less chance for more people finding you, right? So I'm very big on how to make my content valuable so more people will like it, then it will expand to more reach. And so this two-hour-a-day LinkedIn habit is essentially like an, an hour is you write up whatever your, your post is going to be today, a couple of paragraphs of stuff, hit the post button, and then the second hour is seeing what people do, responding to whatever they comment or add to your post, getting whatever other interaction you have from people who send you messages on on LinkedIn and like that's the two hour process. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I might be spending more than that, but then like I I like to think, okay, I'm only spending two hours, but that's over the span over the whole day. So like, you know, maybe it's just the first hour I'm done, then I close my app and then like later on throughout the day, like I do check my notification, like who's commenting, then I just go there really quick to just answer it. Then later on in the afternoon, like if I have you know, because like my sessions throughout the day, I do make sure that I have fifteen to thirty minutes in between my session, you know, or, or any of my chat, you know podcast interview so in between that time then i do stuff like you know respond to emails or check on my linkedin or or instagram whatever so so like i i think throughout the day then i i think give or take maybe maybe it's two three hours if you add all that up so i try not to go over that because then you know i i'm aware that i don't want to spend all my day on linkedin so i make sure to close the app otherwise it's just too easy to go down that rabbit hole and is there a particular time that you like to do this during the day like is this your morning routine is this your afternoon routine does it just kind of depend on what your schedule looks like for the day yeah so so i prefer in the morning to get it out of the way so i really prefer morning unless like i don't know i got 
for some reason, I got busy in the morning, but that rarely happens. But most of my posts is in the morning, around give or take, you know, 7 to 8 a.m. PST. Also, there are posting times where people are the most active. Because if you think about it, like weekday when people, you know, I mean, <laughs> nobody's going to work now, right? They're at home. But still, like, they're still maybe in, you know, in the morning, they're eating breakfast, whatever. So they might have time on social media. So you want to try to get it, like, you know, between 7 to 9 a.m. of the time zone you're targeting. Okay, so there's going to be many different time zones. But for me, I mainly care about PST or EST because I'm trying to target mainly U.S. Because then the, it's hard to, to, to work with international clients because they're going to start asking me tax question, investment question. And then, you know, and then and so I'd rather just not have to deal with that. So I just focus on U.S. stuff. So so PST or EST. So 7 to 9 a.m. of the time zone you're trying to target. And then there's also the lunchtime crowd. So the, between 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. is also good time to post and there's also after work when they're done sometimes you know they're like done for the day i don't want to work anymore so i think 4 p.m to about 7 p.m is also a good time and the idea is just because that's when some people are getting going or getting out there or underway with their day and so if you post then there's a decent chance they'll see it and they'll respond to it and and like it or comment on it and then you get to comment a response and now you're in a bit of a a live real-time conversation with Yes. So so that's just one strategy, the time zone. But of course, end of the day, Michael, it's really about how valuable your content is. So you can have, I mean, you can have the, the most crappiest content and then you put on like, you know, on those time zones, but it's not going to have much traction. So end of the day, you have to have a really, really good content. So, so basically, if I post in the morning and then if it's, you know, people like it, if it's continuously having a Activity throughout the day, LinkedIn is going to keep pushing that out. So LinkedIn will make your post alive. Like last week, I had a content that got over a thousand likes, like it's probably 1500 likes now. And then it's still going. And that was last week. So I still see people interacting and liking and commenting it. So, so the algorithm likes it. Like if there's continuous activity, then, you know, that's again, based on how valuable your content is. So if you still have continuous activity, LinkedIn will keep, you know, pushing it out to more new people, keeping it alive because, because you do want your content to be alive as long as possible. And so, in, in practice, that's just, I mean, are you thinking like, hey, I think this is a thing that's going to go viral and a lot of people are going to are going to click on like, how, how do you figure out what's what's likely to have a, a life of its own and sustain? So how they figure that out is, is based on your first hour. So the first hour after you post, if it has a lot of interaction, that's why I babysit my post. <laughs> I babysit my post in the first hour. I make sure I respond to all comments. And then like, I just make sure that there's a lot of activity on that content. Like I just make sure to always be on top of the post the first hour. Because then let's say your first hour, you only got five or 10 likes, right? Yeah, more than likely it, it's, it's going to die. Regardless if like a lot of people you know, are, are going to start interacting with that later on more than likely it's, it's going to die with, you know, in less than a day. So that first hour is very important. So for me, I try to target the minimum. I get 50 or 60 likes, you know, reactions the first hour. So I know if I get that minimum, of course, the higher, the better, right? So if I get that minimum, then I know for sure I'm going to get at least 100 or 200 likes. But in terms of like, will I know how many likes it will be? I, I don't know. It really depends on, you know, how, how many people will find that valuable or something. So, but the most important 
important in the first hour you want to have as many likes as possible because like i noticed that you know i might have like content who I, I i was thinking oh this content is really good but then like the first hour for some reason <laughs> not a lot of people like it like it does i don't know like you know it probably got 20 or 30 and then like it, it didn't it didn't go it didn't have a much much traction after so your first hour is very very important so you want to make sure that you respond to any comment in the first hour because that that will trigger the algorithm of linkedin and and think that oh wow this there's a lot of activity the first hour so maybe they're gonna try to push it out to more people so that's how linkedin sees it so so you want as much activity as possible and then like and how you get to the point where you're gonna have a lot of activity in the first hour and that's that's a part of the coaching work i do there's a lot of strategy because you have to build your presence first like if you don't have an audience then nobody's gonna see your post then then it doesn't matter matter like how how valuable your content is if you don't have that audience you don't have that loyal followers then and it's a waste of time so you need to build that following first and then you know i didn't come on linkedin just starting post my content i didn't like i, I built my following first like you know like I, I supported people first i show up for people and then you know and then it took it took me time and then like i think when i got to the point maybe i don't know after a month and i start posting and then like people start coming to my content you know because they like you you know because like you you know I, i've been supporting people so they they like me already like and so when i start posting content they just start showing up because then you have to come from a place if you keep supporting people of course people are going to support you once you start you know posting because then that's just the nature of human right you know unless you're a greedy person you don't want to support back but for most people they will want to support you back if they keep seeing you always supporting them and so how does this actually turn into business for you like how do they and I get like, I posted an inspirational thing that has something to do with money. So they sort of get I'm associated with money and we may or may not have a little bit of a back and forth in the comments section. Like how, how does this actually turn into business and clients for you? Yeah, so I, I did a post actually one time of a breakdown of how many clients year to date I got from different referral sources. So year to date, that was in April, LinkedIn was actually the most clients I got. Second was Yelp, and then there's Instagram, Facebook, and referral. But but my two big referral sources are Yelp and LinkedIn. So yeah, I mean, it, it I, I don't know. I mean, like, I think the when I keep consistently showing up, because so th- this is the thing formula with social media, right? Someone has to know, like, and trust you. So those three factors are very important. How do they get to know you? You show up, you know, you show up on social media, you interact with people. How they how do they end up liking you? Well, I mean, if they like your content, then they probably most likely will like you. And then like, how can they trust you? Then they trust you because you're consistently showing up. You show them that you can be trusted. So I think like, because there's already that three things there, then they will most likely come to you. Then they, they're, you know, they're more than happy to get on a call with you. So yeah, because of all the work that I do, you know, I've, I've gotten a lot of leads, continuous leads. And then we, we talk on the phone and then like, yeah. And then sometimes some of them sign up, sometimes some of them don't. So, but, but yeah, those, those are coming all from the work that I do on LinkedIn, like, you know, leads just coming in and scheduling time with me. And, and in essence, like they're, they're seeing you on LinkedIn at some point, they're clicking through to your website and then they're they're signing up there? Or do you literally get like, they message you through LinkedIn, hey, I've seen your stuff, how do I work with you, Christine? 
Yeah, so there's there's two ways. So either they message me or, okay, so here's the thing with LinkedIn. I'm like literally giving my secrets for my LinkedIn coaching now. So, but anyway, so this thing, so basically like the purpose of posting is that you want to just give a lot of value, right? You're, you're attracting clients as much as possible to, to you. So what happens is that if you have a really, really great post, so, so a lot of people are nosy, right? So what do you think they're going to do? They're going to come to your profile. So when they come to your profile, that's the time you want to make sure your profile is awesome. You know, then, then that's the time you can sell on your profile. Like I literally like on my profile, if you read it, like I tell them what I help them on, you know, what their pain points are, how I can solve that pain points. And then like, there's a link to schedule a complimentary through my uh, profile. So they can just click on that one. So a lot of people don't even know how to use that, but it's, it, it's on your profile. So, so I, it's either through that. So they the come profile, my- like your little, your little like bio about you part like that that specifically is is what they click on where they go no no there's actually a link on the profile like you can actually put a link at the bottom so it's called the featured section so the featured section you can literally put any links you can put link to an external website you can you can put a link to a post a link to an article a link to any actually it's cool like linkedin just literally this is a new feature it just started like a couple of months ago i love it because before it was it was just showing you your last article you posted and then like the last three posts you did so you didn't have control over what you want to show so now you have absolute control of what you want to show so you want to make sure the first two items that shows on your featured page is the two things you want people to click on so so for me that will be scheduling a complimentary link and then the second one is my linkedin coaching so those are the two i'm promoting so so you know either my financial coaching or my linkedin coaching so just click on those so either they go there and then or sometimes they'll message me if they're connected to me already so either one of those two And now you had mentioned earlier, you also do live streaming to LinkedIn and that you have a software that you're paying for, for live streaming as part of what you do. So talk to us about live streaming and LinkedIn. Like what, what are you doing? How is that different from the posts that you were doing? Yeah, so live stream is actually only given to you know a select few, and then I know like when you apply for it, sometimes it can take you a long time to get it. So so that's what makes it special because not every first of all not everybody has it. Second, the approval process can ta- sometimes take a long time. So I was I was lucky because there was a time where in like LinkedIn actually reached out to some content creators to interview them. So I was one of the content creators that was interviewed for something. I think they're trying to build some sort of tool. So I became friends and connected with the main lead who was interviewing me. So he liked me. And then so he recommended me for LinkedIn Live. And I think literally after I applied two days later, I got approved. So once I get approved, so I I, I use that because then, you know, it, it's different, right? When you have a live versus a video is you, you have live interaction. So when I go on live, I see comments, people just asking you questions. And then, and then people can actually see you live. Like they know you you're a real person because I know some people they don't want to be on live because they're they're freak out or something like that so I'm not I want to show people this is who I am this is me you get to see me live you get to see ask me any question and then I'm going to invite um you know people different subject matter expert or people in social media or like right now I'm I'm kind of having maybe in any person who has an interesting person to share to, they want to be on my live. If they have some money story they want to share, so I, I I welcome them as well to my live. So it's like it's just really it's it's a totally different thing versus when you're posting.
posting. And I know it's semi-live when you're responding to comments, but it's, it's, it's different when you're like on video and then like you're responding to the comments right there and there. So there's like, it's like a real interaction. So I don't know, it, it just makes them feel, I guess, you know, there's going to be more trust as well. And then I have gotten some leads as well from my live. Like sometimes after a live, like they're like, oh, I really love your live stream. So I've gotten comments from people who, who really um, enjoy my life as well. So so I think it's working. So I just try to make it, uh, you know, connected to my overall business goal. And of course, not just about business and sometimes also, you know, for fun as well. And so, well, I guess, A, like if if you're essentially piloting some of the LinkedIn Live approach, then the the, the rest of us will probably be seeing it soon if it's going to roll out as a broader as a broader feature. But I guess I'm just wondering, like, how do you decide what to do on LinkedIn Live? Like, is it is it always guess? Is it you talking? Is it sometimes just you talking? Is there a you know a time or a way that you do LinkedIn Live as opposed to writing posts? Do you even compare like are posts better than doing LinkedIn Live video? Like how do you how do you evaluate and compare these as you're as you're trying some of each now? Yeah, so LinkedIn Live is also very new to me. I got it last month. So I'm the type of person who when I get something, I'm just going to try it out because I'm not going to like, sometimes some people get into analysis paralysis. They're like, oh, what should they do? What what should they figure out? Blah, blah, strategy. I'm like, I, I, just, I just went for it. I didn't even think too much of it. So I think initially I was going to do every Saturday and then like I had already had a bunch of people wanting to be on my live, right? But then the thing is that when I, I let them book all my Saturday, it was booked all the way till July and I still have people who wants to be on my show messaging me it's like yeah I can talk about this and stuff like that and then I felt bad I'm like so I open up Tuesday and Thursday so now I do three LinkedIn live with guests and then Sunday I sometimes show up you know not last week but I try to show up every Sunday like ask me anything Sunday where it's just me showing up and then like I usually I do a post the day before and said hey what questions do you have for me ask for ask me anything tomorrow so just in case you know not everyone show up right away then at least I can go back to the post and read all the questions and ask and answer it right there on the live. And then more people's going to show up and ask me more questions. And how long do you run with these? Like, is this like a five or 10 minute snippet thing? Is this like a full hour? Like, what are you, what are you doing? What, like, what's the format of the live stream itself? Yeah, so I at first I want to try it to 30 minutes or only 15 minutes. But what happened, Michael, is that I actually end up having a lot of fun because then it's just like you're you're just having like conversation with people. You know, I'm I'm really interested. I'm always interested in people's lives. So I usually never run out of questions to ask. And then like right there on the live, then I'm like, oh, new things come up, then I'll ask them questions. And then sometimes my audience, you know, jump in with a lot of their questions. So usually it ends up, you know, as much as I, I try to, oh, me keep it 30 minutes but all my lives has actually been almost an hour like all the lives i've done is all you know at least almost an hour and and how do you actually do it and and set it up like does linkedin's platform that they're working on make it make it easy or or like you need a special live streaming app or just runs from your phone like facebook live and youtube live like how does it how does it actually work how did you set up to to do it 
Yeah, so LinkedIn doesn't have, um, they don't allow you to do live right there because then I think they don't want you to save, you know, whatever your video on their server because they only have so much. So because then if you post video on LinkedIn, the maximum length is only 10 minutes. You can't go over 10 minutes if it's a, your own native video. So imagine live, right? I don't I don't know if there's a cap on live, but I never went over an hour. But I've seen people do lives as there are an hour and a half or even maybe two hours. So there's not as much of a limit as a video. So, so yeah, I do have to use, there's different external apps. Like they do recommend you different apps. So I, I use one, um, it's called StreamYard. And then, so basically StreamYard is sort of like Zoom, but but it's more catered towards live. So Zoom doesn't, I, I don't think Zoom does very well with live. It's better for video sessions or conferences, but for streaming live, um, yeah, I, I really love StreamYard. Like, you know, a lot of people who are also using LinkedIn Live, um, they also use StreamYard. And actually that was recommended to me. So so the cool thing about StreamYard is that if it's free if you're only streaming to one uh, destination. But if you're streaming to two destinations, you have to pay for it. I, I forgot how much that was, but so two destinations, you have to pay for it and then after that you can stream up to five destinations so i pay for the one that stream up to five destinations because i stream to i stream to linkedin i stream to facebook to my facebook personal to my facebook business page and then to youtube so unfortunately you cannot stream to instagram you have to really go on their app and do a live directly from the app so 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 when i stream on instagram like if my guests have, have instagram so <laughs> we literally have our bought our phone and our desktop in front of us so we can stream in all places so it's streaming to five different places including instagram but for the most part like some of my guests they don't have instagram then it's just streaming to the four different destination because the idea then is you're like just you you only have to do one broadcast and it propagates everywhere on its own with the technology so you can just literally leverage one one live stream, one presentation, one delivery, and have it go out to a whole bunch of places at once as opposed to making your bets like, oh, is this one that's better to put out on on YouTube or is this one that's better to put out on Twitter or is this one better to put out on Facebook? Like, I'm just going to use StreamYard and hit the button and it goes to all of them and we'll 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 see which one gets a lot of uptake. Exactly. So so a lot of my audience are coming from LinkedIn right now. So so even when I stream like like YouTube, I don't have a lot of subscribers there, but I mean, why not, right? I might as well just stream to YouTube so I can start having more videos there too. So when people find me, they're going to see me on YouTube. But for Facebook, I mean, I have some people come in, you know, I don't know, like two or three, only a handful, but a chunk of all my audience are coming from LinkedIn. So the cool thing about StreamYard is that you can see the live comments from all the platform right on the application so i can just see and i can even like put the comment directly on the screen like you know when people ask questions you just put on the screen and oh then, very cool yeah so it, it it is so cool i i love it i i i always have fun i don't know like you know it, it's just like having a conversation with people so i think some people they probably you know they're they're intimidated being going live, but to me, it's fun. It's just I'm having real life conversation with my audience. So I really know like what are they thinking? If they have any question right there, then they can just interact with me and, and my guests, you know, right there and then. So what surprised you the most in trying to build this financial coaching business? I guess going the, you know, part-time for a few years building up until making the switch to full-time a year ago. Like what surprised you the most about going through the process of building a financial coaching business? Not much. I feel like I was born to be an entrepreneur. So I think like, it's just like, 
it's really, you know, I knew that I have to work hard because like, you know, if you don't market, then you don't have any sales, right? If you don't have any sales, then you're not going to, you're not going to feed yourself. So I knew that I have to hustle. So I already knew that from the very beginning. So it was not surprising for me that, you know, I, I, I think before I was working every day, right? I was accepting sessions, even Saturday, Sunday. So now, um, you know, I got to the point where it was a little overwhelming. I did one day to myself. So I blocked my entire Sunday, at least one day off where and I don't talk to anyone, no sessions, whatever. I'm just posting on LinkedIn or live stream. And so, yeah, I, I think it's just like you, you end up just like, you know, working so hard. You work like, you know, a lot of more longer hours. And I guess what surprised me was that I actually feel I'm working a lot more than versus when I was an employee. I feel like I had more time when I was an employee, even though I was an employee, I was building my business on the side, but I was kind of taking it easy building the business because I had a steady paycheck. So there was no urgency to build my business. You know, like, you know, like, I, I mean, I still have money coming in. So, so it wasn't like um when I quit my job. So of course I, I want to be successful. I, I told myself, I don't want to go back to corporate. So I worked really hard. I was working a lot of hours, you know, Sunday and, 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 you know, I don't, there's not a lot of client facing sessions. So like you say, if I only have a minimum four sessions for new clients a month, I, I don't have a lot of hours on my calendar for client facing. Most of it is like, you know, um, marketing and, and podcast interview, the interview right now. Like, like I do a lot more back end stuff, you know, and also like learning new things. Like I, I was studying for my enrolled agent. So that took me six months. So I'm always learning something new on the back end. But as long as I meet my quota, like I'm profitable. And then so I, I do a lot of back end things as well to continue for business development. When you, it makes a powerful point that when just when you charge your fair worth for the for the work that you're doing with clients and you make a healthy dollar amount per client, it can free up a lot of your time and capacity to then go do more marketing, do more building, do more other stuff, right? Instead of doing like a, a high volume of small dollar amounts, which is hard because you don't have the time to do the volume and serve all the people that you need to serve at volume. Like, what does it look like if you only need a few clients every month? with larger dollar amounts, and then you can actually do something like, well, I, I can put two hours a day towards marketing and building my relationships and networking you know, through LinkedIn. Lots of people do networking in various ways, but like, I can put more time to marketing and business development for my, for my practice when I'm getting paid enough per client that I don't need a zillion clients. I need a healthy number of ongoing clients, but I don't need a zillion clients in a zillion hours. Yep, exactly, exactly. That's why I, I I did my business model around that because like I know some some people were telling me why are you charging so much whatever like well why don't you just charge you know I don't know paper session hundred dollars an hour or something like that because there's not people can afford it. But I said well I have my reason and then that's exactly why I'm thriving because I did this business model. I'm attracting the right people who's willing to pay me, willing to do the work, and then I have a lot more time to do marketing and other stuff and also to learn new things. I'm actually studying for my CFP as well. Like I re, I already I only have two more classes to go. So I think I, I'm I'm probably gonna take the test as well. But I'm not doing that mainly so I can have the designation, but but because I don't really need it for my business. But I'm doing that because I want to learn new things. I wanna I always want to learn anything new about finances. Like I did my enrolled agent because you know I want to learn about taxes because if you can't run away from taxes, you might as well make it your friend, right? So how do I make 
uh, taxes my friend by studying it. So, so I did that, and uh, and then I was doing the CFP, and then maybe I mean I'm also interested in the retirement planning, and then learning more about social security, about stuff like that. So uh, that's probably my next step. I want to try to get some sort of social security designation. Actually, tomorrow the guest on my live stream, he's I forgot the CRPC or like the Certified Retirement Planning stuff. So he's that. So we're gonna talk more about social security, about retirement planning, and stuff like that. And then I, I'm and that interests me. I want to learn about that. So I want to have more time to learn more about this because I love money. I love learning more about money. And I'm talking about personal finance, not corporate business finance, but I just love learning about it. You know, as much as possible, I want to have a lot of time to learn all of that. And then, and, and funny is like, I don't have a lot of time for other hobbies because like, <laughs> there's just so much to do. There's so much to learn. So, so I think like, I don't think I will ever be bored. There's just so much to do. There's more marketing to do. Like I'm trying to grow on Instagram and then that's going to take me a lot of time too. Like if, if you're going to try to be good at any social media platform, you have to commit to at least an hour a day, just learning the platform, getting to know like, how does this work? So it's the same concept with building a relationship with money. I'm trying to build my relationship with Instagram now by spending time there, engaging, you know, getting to know who are the people hanging out there, like where would my ideal clients hang out? So I, I have to do all that research. So same thing with LinkedIn. Like I built my relationship with LinkedIn by spending time on LinkedIn and now it has really, you know, LinkedIn has served me very well because I have nurtured that relationship really well. So, so that's why I always try to tell my clients, like every time you're trying something new, think about it the way that you're trying to build that relationship. Like how would you build a relationship so you can have a great relationship? So it's all about nurturing. It's all about honoring the time and spending time and getting to know what you're trying to build a relationship on. So what was the low point on the journey for you? Not much. I think July when <laughs> I went negative last last year, I think I, I was kind of freaking out a little bit. I'm like, oh crap, am I gonna repeat this again? But luckily it it hasn't. But but there there wasn't any low point. Like I, I just I just love my journey. It's just like I don't know. Like I think when you finally find your passion and then like everything just go with the flow. I really truly believe that. Like it things just flow. Like I don't know. Just things just fell into the right place. I, I I just can't think of any low point the past year. Like things have just been really good. Like I just, yeah, I, I'm just so super happy and so blessed that I don't really see me going back to the corporate life anytime soon. Anything you do wish you'd done differently? Like I guess you know, what what do you now know now that you could go back and and tell you from five years ago, four years ago in 2016 when you were just getting started down this path. Is there anything you, you wish you could go back and tell you? Yeah, I think the only thing I would change, I mean, I don't regret what I did before, but the only thing I would change is probably I would tell my younger self in 2016 to actually take building my business more seriously. Because then the, the thing I think I could have probably quit my job one year into building my business, but I kind of drag it to two and a half years, right? And then part of the reason was really, I was terrified of, you know, of, of giving up my, my paycheck because my, I mean, you know, it's like nowadays as an entrepreneur, I mean, your income is going to go up and down and you, you really don't know how much money you're going to make, right? So it really depends on how much hustle you do, how much, you know, whatever marketing or whatever other, you know, events that happen that month, you know? So so I would 
tell my younger self in 2016 that to actually take it more seriously. Maybe I would have marketed a lot earlier. I would have been on social media a lot earlier. So I, I, I would probably have quit my my work in like um you know a year after I started my business. But but again I didn't I didn't regret that because then um, during the two and a half years, so what I did was that I switched from I was in data analytics for a long time. Like I, I you know I, I was in, in that career for a very, very long time. And I wasn't happy with that. I told myself, maybe if I switch to corporate finance, something in finance, I might be happy because I, again, I was really not ready to give up my, my steady paycheck, you know, plus the benefits and everything. So, so I, I switched to corporate finance. Like I was in FPNA, financial planning and analysis. So I was, you know, I was helping with a big budget, you know, Visa has a huge budget there. So, so I, I thought I was going to be happy, but you know, I was happy the first year on switching, mainly because it's a whole new world for me. I'm like, wow, it's a whole new department, whole new thing to learn. And you like learning things, so it was a fun thing to, a new thing to learn. Yeah, but you know what, Michael? After a year, so so the boss who hired me to to switch to that because uh, it was a transition internally within Visa, so it was easier for you to change career if it's in the same uh, company. So at least Visa, you know, encouraged that they want people to try different career, whatever. So so the boss that hired me, he left Visa. So I was like, I was so sad. And then when he left, I was literally, you know, I was jumping to probably three different manager before I quit. I was like, there were we had reorg, we had different managers, so. I think that that triggered me into thinking, I'm like, I don't want this life. I don't want to be at the hands of the corporate, you know, like you have no choice over who your boss is. You have no choice of your department, whatever. You always have to adapt to new bosses. So I think that that's just what triggered me. I'm like, you know, I, I can't do this anymore. So I told myself that then I did, I made an exit plan. So it took me two months before I quit since I since I, you know, decided that I want to quit because then I had to go through, you know, all this emotional processing, mental processing of like, am I ready to do this? Whatever. Like, and I was looking at my finances. I was like, I wasn't making enough in my business to support myself. So, so, so Michael, I was not making enough to actually tell myself, okay, I'm ready to support myself. You know, it, it's, I was making a fraction or whatever, what I was making now. But so that's why I had to totally change my, my, you know, all my business model, my pricing and everything. So I know I could make it. And then, and, and actually I was very lucky and I shift my mindset to, to one of scarcity to abundance. I also shift. And then I also went internally and then trust the universe that, you know, like the, you know, things are going to come and, you know, you have to trust, you have to focus on, on giving value. And then, unfortunately, even May, my first month, I was so lucky. I, I probably got like 10 new clients that month. I was like, so surprised. Like, wow. Like, see, it's just like, it was just a sign. I feel that I needed from the universe. I'm like, because they've been following you because they've been following you for a while. They're like, oh, you're finally doing this full time. I want to work with you now. Yeah, yeah. So so things, I, I don't know. It, it was just like a sign, like, I don't know, a message, like, you can do this. So it was a great encouragement. I was like, in May, I was like, oh, wow, cool. I can do this. And then things just, you know, fell into place after that. And, and then like, you know, May, June, July, I wasn't really on social media. Then I realized, you know what? I can't just rely on Yelp. So then that's the time I focus my attention on, on LinkedIn in September. And then, but... I still didn't get clients till January. So so I had to allow my clients for 2019. It was really mainly Yelp and referrals. So what advice would you give maybe newer coaches looking to get started with a business today the way that you have? 
advice I would tell them, keep your day job <laughs> while building your business on the side. What other advice? You know, I, I you know, so, some some people, they, they need training than others. But for me, I just feel like it was just my gift. Like I, I was just really, I guess, you know, I'm, you know, I was just, it just came naturally to me to coach people and stuff like that. So I didn't really need to get training, but I think like if they want to get training, I mean, there's, there's so many trainings out there for you to go to and then sign up for. So yeah. So I, I think I saw you had the, what is it? The, the certified money coach designation. Yes. So I, I did. And I think Garrett also had that. So, but I didn't get that till much later. Like I probably got that um, a couple of months ago and that was only because, because I'm not, you know, I, I feel like nobody can ever be a great psychologist or, or especially with emotions and stuff like that. So I wanted to learn a little bit more about that. So, so it gave me a little bit of foundation to actually to understand people more. But I think end of the day, I think you have to do your work. You have to do your research. You have to read books. And then, and then you have to do your own spiritual work because I, I cannot coach someone else if I have not done my own internal work. So I went through my own internal self-growth development back in 2016, like that entire year. Like the reason I even decided to to go this route was because, you know, it was a huge spiritual growth for me in 2016. Like, you know, I, 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 I took classes in spirituality. I was meditating. I was, I heard, I, you know, I hired a spiritual life coach. So everything just fell into place 2016. And then she encouraged me like, you know, cause she knew I wasn't happy. I knew I wasn't happy in corporate world. And so she encouraged me. It's like, you know, what do you love to do? And I knew I love money. So she told me just start doing this, start doing this on the side. You have no risk. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I would invite like, if you really love what you do, you really know you're passionate about money, then just start it on the side. Because like, you just don't know, you know, you don't know like how, if you're even going to like it. So start having clients, see if you even enjoy it. And then like start looking at your finances. Does this even, you know, make sense to you? Like, you know, so, so do it on the side, like never, ever quit your job. That will just be my number one advice to anybody starting out any businesses, even, but for coaches, I mean, with financial coach, I think, yeah, you, you really have to love what you do. You really have to be very passionate about money. You have to constantly want to learn more. And then like, you know, if you don't have that fire to want to learn anything new or like want to hustle, then uh, entrepreneurship might not be right for you because then there there's certain attitudes toward entrepreneurship that will make you succeed in entrepreneurship. Because like, you know, end of the day, we, we still have to hustle. I mean, it's not a bad thing. And then you, you have to enjoy that because some people, they, they just hate it. They don't enjoy hustling. So they go back to the corporate world. So it's, it's not for everybody. Well, and it's an interesting framing for coaching in particular versus, I'll call it more, more traditional financial advisor side. Like it's, you know, it's really hard to do you know, anything as a FINRA registered broker on the side while you're working somewhere else because your your broker dealer wants to oversee everything you're doing and 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 may struggle with you having, you know, what for us is an OBA, an outside business activity. Even in the RAA world, like it's it's hard to get started on the side. There's more cost to getting to getting it started on the side. You may again have trouble affiliating to a firm on the side. I, I think it's an interesting angle around coaching that just the you know the good and the bad, like the barriers to entry are lower, the the cost to set up and and hang your own shingle are lower, and and you don't have to go through the same level of regulatory compliance oversight. And so, if you're trying to find a thing to get started with, it's to me just an an interesting angle or path about how to do it. It's more conducive, I think, to 
side hustling your way to get going than I'll call traditional financial advisor world is for side hustling to get going. Exactly. So coach uh, definitely is, is much easier to get to. And that's also one of the reasons I didn't want to get into wealth management because, you know, I, I didn't want to have to deal with the compliance and everything. So, and also the other thing, like, um, yeah, so it, it's it really, I mean, end of the day is, is your mindset, your attitude, and how much are we willing to do the work and hustle to, to survive? Because then, like you said, it's, it's a very easy entry point and then very low cost because like, I mean, there's not a lot of overhead to a coach. Well, at least for me, like, you know, I, I only pay for Zoom. I And then, you know, I, I don't even pay for any tools. So so it's, I have very, very low overhead. So, so you know, there's not a lot of expenses. So you can't make that as an excuse that it's expensive to even try it because, no, it, it all boils down to you. Like, are you ready to do all that work? And then, like, you were telling me about the iceberg thing. Like, there's a lot of work underneath it. Like, even when people see me, they see me, I'm, I, I look so successful, whatever. But I I do a lot of work in the back end. I mean, clients don't just come to me. Like, I have to market. Like, you know, Michael, if I stop showing up on LinkedIn, yeah, of course, like <laughs> my leads and clients are going to stop showing up, right? So I have to constantly do all this work. I mean, there's a lot of work underneath this and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's like, you know, I, I, you know, you might not make as much as you were in corporate too, but then like you have to focus. Like, you know, I, I, it makes me sad when I see people get sucked into like this business coaches, like, you know, like um, they always promise you, I'm going to make you six figure, five digit amount, whatever. But, you know, it's not true. Like people who are like, you know, I know, I actually know some financial advisor who, who, who thought they can make it. But what happened was that if they're very, very honest with you, like the real one, they, they say, you know, they don't make much. Some of them are making 40, 50 K to start with. Like, you know, like it, it's, it's very hard for them. Like, you know, so, so end of the day, you have, have to figure out you know what is your happy money number so for me like you know i don't live in a cheap place like i live in silicon valley our mortgage is not cheap so so i always have to make sure that i you know i'm still making enough and then like if you're not able to to hit that target then it's probably not for you or you're gonna have to be a digital nomad or something so you don't need to have so many clients every month right so it's still workable if that's something that you dream about so what comes next for you no, I just kind of keep growing. And then I think the next step is to actually get my, you know, retirement certification. So I, I either want to do the RICP or the CRPC or, or some social security um, designation. Cause like, I'm, I'm really interested in that. I mean, I'm, I don't want to niche towards people trying to just retire, but, but allow my young clients, the serious one, they want to learn about retirement. They want to learn about like, am I doing the right thing so I can, you know, be retire um, well and retire happily. So, so I want to learn more about that. I want to really want to, you know, understand more about social security. So that is my next step. And then after that is, is really just keep growing, keep learning. And there's always something new to learn. Like, like I will never get bored. <laughs> so as we wrap up, this is a, a podcast about success. And, and one of the themes that always comes up is even just the the word success means very different things to different people. So, you know, as, as you said, like you, you found your happy money number and been able to, to hit it very quickly in launching the business and, and now just growing and scaling your marketing from there. But how, how do you define success for yourself at this point? Yeah. So success to me is like, um, yeah, finding my happy money number, living a lifestyle I love. Like, you know, what do I like to do? So I like to travel when coronavirus is gone or well if we get that on 
<laughs> in a stable place, then I want to go back to uh, traveling again, like, at least twice a year. I mean, I, I really wanted to do the digital nomadic life, but I have two dogs and there's no way I can do that, right? I will never leave them. So so the best thing we can do is to actually travel, you know, two or three times a year to different countries. And then, you know, I love eating out. I love my massages. So when coronavirus is up, I'm going to go back to my regular weekly massage. So to me, success is like uh, I'm profitable. I'm living a lifestyle I love. You know, I, I'm very happy and then I can do whatever I want to. And then I'm I'm also I'm happy 90 percent of the time. I'm not depressed anymore. So to me, that's what success looks like to me. It's not about millions of dollars. It's not about six digit. And I always remind my client, no, it's not. They always think they need millions of dollars to retire. No, you have to figure out what is your happy money number? What makes you happy? Then then let's work towards there. Are you are you on track? You know, like, are you saving enough for your retirement as well? Like, Are you doing the things you need to do? to reach there and I always try to reframe them you know see what lifestyle makes you happy you know don't compare yourself to other people that's why I did that post like you know grass will always be greener on the other side of the fence right there will always be someone better or worse than you so so compare yourself to who you are yesterday or what you want look inside yourself what makes you happy what makes you feel and I think if you're very happy you're able to afford the lifestyle you want your success you know that to me is successful so that's success to me well and I, and I love it that just the the whole framing of you know finding your your happy number and what works for you like it's 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 what we talk to clients about and trying to get help them maybe even sometimes step off the the treadmill and and get focused on what they really want to do that's meaningful for them and i just i love christine that you've like you've assimilated the same philosophy for yourself in finding the kind of work you want to do in moving out of corporate life and into an entrepreneurial world and saying this is what i like to do and how i want to serve people and how i can get paid for it and i can get my happy num- money number so here we go we're doing it <laughs> yes yes thank you I love it. Well, thank you so much, Christine, for joining us on the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. Yeah, thank you so much, Michael. It was such an honor to be invited to your podcast. So this was such a big deal for me. So so I'm really excited we made this happen. So and yeah, and I look forward to possibly having you on my live stream soon. I uh, think we'll we'll try to come out and uh, get a feel of what this whole LinkedIn live stream thing is about. <laughs> okay, Michael. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, Christine. Want even more ideas, tools, and resources on how to break through to the next level of success as a financial advisor? Check out the leading financial planning industry blog, Nerd's Eye View, at www.kitsis.com, where Michael covers the latest practice management trends and financial planning strategies. And by joining the members section, you can earn IMCA and CFP continuing education credits, along with exclusive member content. Get it all now at www.kitsis.com.